Hey, everyone. Welcome to the very first edition of uh, the Extra Pass Dallas Mavericks Trade Deadline Podcast. Um, you know, we kind of starting this out just on the back of uh, a big trade deadline day for the Mavericks. Um, not a big one for the entire NBA. There weren't a ton of big moves made, which is why I wanted to start off the podcast talking about the Mavericks. I, you know, I am a Mavericks fan, so that's where this uh, you know, this is coming from, but I'm also a fan of the, the larger NBA and, and hope to start doing podcasts based on, um, you know, broader NBA moves, analysis, you know, who are the likely finals contenders, um, off-season moves, contract discussions, contract analysis. Um, but right now, I, I don't think that there's a ton of content out there on the Dallas Mavericks moves. Um, you know, we had a lot of media reaction to some of the moves that the Mavericks made. And, you know, just to start out, we'll summarize what the moves actually were. You had Daniel Gafford being acquired for uh, Rashawn Holmes and the least favorable 2024 first round pick. Um, and that's a move that the Mavericks have needed to make for a long time. They moved this offseason to get lively and uh, they've reaped the rewards from that. They hit on the pick. Um, he's been a tremendous value to the team. They've needed a rim runner, a rim protector alongside Luka Doncic, and, and they got that. Um, with with Lively and then here with Gafford, it gives the team a much higher floor. If anything happens to Lively, um, you have Gafford to slide in there and having that Gafford come in if there's foul trouble or on the second unit to run alongside with those teams uh, or with, with, with that uh, backup rotation. Um, and I'm recording this after the Mavericks beat the Thunder in, in a very convincing fashion. Um, you got to see all the best version of that. I'm not necessarily projecting that this team is is going to look like that every night. Um, you know, you have a lot of, you have a lot of, uh, you know, inspirational play from PJ Washington and Gafford and just the entire team seems to be a bit galvanized by the moves. And I think that's fairly typical after a big trade deadline move, everybody wants to show the best version of themselves. Um, and I'll get into more of that later, but you know, you're really talking about both of these moves were made for players who, um, you know, they're distressed assets to a certain extent, right? They're distressed players. Um, they're on teams where winning cultures haven't existed. And it's not to say that the, the Mavericks have been this, you know, pinnacle of winning heat culture type of environment, but, um, you know, they made the Western Conference Finals um, a couple of years ago, and they have been a consistently winning team, missing the playoffs only um, only last year because they decided to to go for that, that pick. They didn't want to lose their pick. Um, and they've been competitive, right? You know, you're looking at P.J. Washington on the um, – on the Hornets and they've just never had a, a competitive team and, and Daniel Gafford on the Wizards. And there hasn't been a ton to motivate those players to give everything they have on the floor night in and night out. And you saw that, you saw that last night, you saw maximum effort. Um, so the other, the other pick, you know, I've, I've alluded to it already with PJ Washington, it's Seth Curry and Grant Williams and a conditional first round pick um, and a TPE, which were acquired from the, you know, for the Hornets in exchange for Washington and a uh, 2024 second, and then a least favorable, uh, 2028 second round pick and a TPE, um, from the Hornets. So, you know, this one, I'm not going to focus as much as on the picks that are being given up. Um, that, that has been sort of the, the national media reaction. And then even some other Mavericks, um, you know, podcasts and, and blogs have written, about you you know what's the worst case scenario here of the Mavericks are giving up all of these picks and what happens if they're not competitive and these end up being lottery picks or top five top ten unprotecteds um, and it's a legitimate concern you have to think about that as a general manager when you're giving up picks like that uh, you know we've said we've kind of seen a swing away from first round picks mattering um, you know giving up four three four first round picks 
um, because end of the first round, um, there's a you know five or ten percent chance that that player becomes a a meaningful NBA player, giving you good minutes. Um, so we've seen kind of a switch away from from the valuation of first round picks being what they were. Um, but you know, long story short, you're looking at um, something like 2027, 2028. Um, it's a long way from now. And the concern is that Luka Doncic doesn't stay. He ends up leaving the Mavericks. Um, I think the important thing to note there is that he's extension eligible if he continues to make all pro teams in 2025. Um, and then if not, then he'll be extension eligible in 2026, 2027 season. Um, you know, what that means is that the Mavericks are either, they're going to have a decision and they're going to have optionality with that contract. And they're either going to decide to extend him and uh, keep keep Luca and keep him alongside those players. In which case, those picks are are going to be you know late first round picks, and uh, almost certainly, right? When you have Luca on your roster, it gives you such a high floor. Um, and if if the Mavericks decide not to extend him and they reach that negotiation, which I'm, I'm assuming Nico Harrison will will know before they lose Luka Doncic as an unprotected free agent and unrestricted free agent, um, that he will have some sign of whether Luka will be able, they will be able to extend him. Um, and if you trade Luka Doncic, um, you know, the, the idea there is that you're going to be getting a King's ransom back in return, similar to the Anthony Davis trade. We were getting two, uh, you know, certified players and then a, you know, basket of first round picks um, and the Pelicans have been able to turn that around for AD. I don't think you're ever going to fully um, recoup the value of a player like that. When you're talking about a top five player in the NBA being traded away, you're never going to fully recoup that benefit unless you find a way to hit on uh, one of those picks, um, like getting a supersonic Luka Doncic, which is a you know a one to five percent chance um, of just generically drafting a player like that. So. You know, I think that those those concerns are legitimate, but they're being a, a bit overblown and, and, you know, people playing out this worst case scenario because, you know, you look at a team building and where the Mavericks have been and where other teams have been trying to build around a superstar, they're often criticized for not making moves like this. And the that's been the consistent theme around Luca's tenure in Dallas is we have to surround him with, um, you know, with other players. We have to surround him with competent players and talent and, um, you know, that, that has been an effort and it has been made and, and KP was a, you know, not, he wasn't at the time in his career where he was ready to be the, you know, second or third best player on a team. I think he thought he wanted to be the first or second best player on those teams. Um, he was often injured. Um, and he's the third or fourth best player on the Celtics now, and he's come to terms with that. And I think that's, it's a good fit for them, but, uh, you know, that was seen as a home run trade. And I agreed with the trade at the time. You have to make moves like this to to put players around uh, superstar players, and if you don't make moves like this, guess what? You're losing Luca anyway. I mean, he's he's gone if you don't if you continue to roll out the rosters that are being rolled out with him right now. Um, there, there's no way that you're going to keep a player like that happy who has the competitiveness um, uh, and, and the superstardom of a player like like Luca. So, you know. You just go through. I was looking at a, a Mavs Moneyball uh, analysis. You, you know, they're grading this as the PJ Washington deal as a D plus. Um, looking at those picks and essentially combining it with the idea that we, you, you know, the, the Mavericks had to move off of Grant Williams. So it's kind of combining those two ideas and giving it a D plus grade. I just don't fully agree with that uh, assessment. I mean, it, <laughs> Williams, he was noted to have a 
bad presence, a malignant presence on the team. Um, his voice was outspoken compared to um, his play. And he had been continuing to give less and less as a player. And you look at the player that they're getting in return. Um, there was a stat from Kevin O'Connor uh, on X uh, where he was one of four players who had been in um, 1,000 uh, pick and roll situations as the ball handler and 900 as the roller. Um, the only such players were Julius Randle, um, Nikola Jokic, and Lori Markkinen. And it just proves that he has that kind of versatility, right? You would never think of PJ Washington in the same camp as guys like that or having the skill set that those guys have. Um, you know, he's, he's obviously doesn't have the size of some of those guys. He's six, seven. But if you remember back to Kentucky, he was a four or five, um, you know, ran the big for them, which I think he gets kind of miscategorized as an undersized big. He's really an oversized three in the NBA. I mean, he's a six, seven uh, player who can defend the four and the five. He, he's, he is what you thought you were getting with Grant Williams um, and a better version of that. Really, he has much more offensive capability. Um, his numbers had started to decline in, in Charlotte, but you look at every player who has had a, a career outside of Luca and outside of you know this system that they play in, and then players that come to Luca's situation, the numbers increase across the board. So I think you're going to get numbers more similar to um, you know the better versions of PJ Washington. He's still fairly young. And I think that there is still some untapped potential there. I don't think you've seen the best version of PJ Washington. Um, so I'm, I'm backing away from that, you know, D plus rating. I, uh, the Daniel Gafford deal, uh, Bleacher Report, they're giving a B minus. And, um, you know, that's just because we had to give up less for that. And it's continued need for the Mavericks um, having that, you know, backup rim running center. Uh, but you saw in the Thunder game, PJ Washington and Daniel Gafford were difference makers. Daniel Gafford was, you know, the only player to have 20 points and um, I think it was nine rebounds or something to those to those numbers in his debut, and he did it in in the half, I believe. And you know, you just saw Luca's ability to find guys running to the rim and then backing out of the paint, and then Luca taking advantage of this. It gives them so much optionality, and Luca's running the offense like he's a point guard. He he sets up the um, or like he's a quarterback rather. Um, he's setting up the play. He's, he has the option to hit the big man rolling to the rim, who sometimes they're covered. I mean, you saw a play in that game against the Thunder where, where Gafford was covered underneath the rim. And Luca just saw the, the size disadvantage, just throws it up and just says, you know, we're just playing jump ball. Go get it. You know, we got, they switched on to you and uh, you're just not going to be able to guard all of those possible combinations. And you start to think about running Luca in the first unit, obviously, and, you know, maybe giving him some much needed rest and letting Kyrie or Hardy run the backup unit where you've seen a couple of good games out of Hardy where he has shown a little bit more playmaking and passing ability. And you have a combination of Hardy and Kyrie running the second unit with Gafford. You know, it, it's, it's giving you a lot more period in the game, a lot more periods in the game where there is not a lull in offense and a higher level of defense that Gafford provides you. Um, I, I think, you know, this, this isn't necessarily hyperbole to say that the Mavericks might have the deepest team of the roster or in the, in the NBA, the deepest roster in the NBA. I don't think that that's hyperbole. You know, you can go through teams like the Celtics and say, well, okay, they have Tatum and Brown and um, White. And KP, that's a, a solid one through four. And it's a better probably one, two, and three um, than the Mavericks have. But you go all the way down the bench and we still haven't you know, even talked about guys like, like Josh Green. 
um, and Jaden Hardy and guys who can give you some offense and know their role. Derek Jones Jr. Exum hasn't played in uh, a number of weeks now, but I mean, he was a revelation for the Mavericks this year and he was essentially out of the league. He was playing in Australia, I believe, um, which is where he's from this off season. And they brought him back and as a bit of a reclamation project and just his ability to um, play alongside Luca and Kyrie and defend uh, a, a number of different positions. Um, you're getting a version of that with PJ Washington also. So, you know, those guys moving, sliding them down from your fourth or fifth options to your, you know, sixth, seventh or eighth, maybe um, that just gives the, you know, there's a lot of depth for guys to take off games take off plays. And I know, you know, no one wants to think about uh, a team taking off plays, uh, but this is, it's a long season and it allows players to get more rest and, and provide better versions of themselves when they are on the, on the floor. So um, all in all, you know, the athletic is grading it. Gafford deals an A, PJ Washington is a, is a B. I think that's a lot closer to, um, to where this deal sits or these deals sits for the Mavericks. Um, you know, I would probably rank the Gafford one as, as an A and the PJ Washington as a B plus, um, the, the Gafford one to me is a home run. I might be a little bit biased as a, an Arkansas Razorbacks fan. Um, so I've seen him play for a long time, but I remember even watching him in college thinking, you know, he, he reminds me a lot of, <clears throat> of, uh, Dwight Powell and with Dwight Powell pre Achilles injury and how athletic he was. Um, he has a, a good eye for the game, a high IQ, um, and, and watching PJ Washington and thinking he's kind of a more athletic Grant Williams. Um, and he's a big body who can switch on to players and guard the one through five. There's not a ton of players in the NBA who can really say that, um, about themselves. So, um, I think they're, they're both home run trades. I think, uh, you know, the Mavericks, you look at where they've performed this season, and um, they have been in the bottom of the league in terms of players available from an injury perspective. Um, the other teams that were in the bottom of that conversation were bottom-dwelling record-wise teams, um, and the Mavericks are very competitive. They, uh, I believe, now sit in that seventh spot um, in the West, and they handled the, the Thunder. Um, again, a lot of emotion on the back of those trades, but um, I I'm actually going to go out on a limb and say I think it's more likely than not that the Mavericks – finished as a top five team, which I was listening to the Simmons and Rosillo podcast that they do after that they did after the deadline. And those guys put together some, some great work. I think, you know, the trade deadline, uh, in a trade valuation that Bill does was, uh, a very good look at, at contract and valuation and, uh, overall assessment of the, you know, NBA at large. Um, and they do, they do good work, but they, you know, Simmons was saying he doesn't see how they finish as a top four team. Um, I'm going to take the other side of that bet. I, I think that they are more likely than not to finish as a top four, top five team. Um, they have the third easiest remaining schedule according to Tankathon. Um, and they're going to start getting players back. They're not a lot of other teams in the NBA have made deals to make themselves better here at the deadline. So that favors the Mavericks. Um, and I think just the long-term, um, nature, looking at this from a, a longer perspective, the contracts are, are not bad. Um, you, you know, worse comes to worse and it deals like this, you know, PJ Washington gets unhappy or Gafford is unhappy and you want to ship those guys out. There's three year, you know, one's a three year 46.5 for PJ. Daniel Gafford's a three year 40. Um, very tradable contracts that you can likely get off of for at least what you got them for. Uh, I think that these guys are going to look better than they were before you traded for them. And, um, you know, the other criticism that I've seen 
um, for deals like this and really for a lot of trade deadline deals is, you know, I don't think a deal like this takes the Mavericks over the top this year. That might be true, right? I don't think that this makes them a finals contender. I don't think that this makes them, you know, in the same ballpark as the, um, as the Nuggets, but it, it puts them in that, in that position where if they have room next offseason to add another free agent, they're another piece away. You see Luka Doncic, eight, I mean, how old is he, right? He's 24. Let's say he continues to get better and better. He steps it up defensively. Um, you see evolution from PJ and Gafford over the life of their contract. Uh, and Lively is only 19. This is rookie season. He continues to get better. Josh Green and Hardy, they have a lot of youth on this roster. Um, you know, you slide Dwight Powell into more of that player coach role like you saw um, in that Thunder game. He didn't, you, you only saw Dwight Powell come in at the very end of that game. Um, and for all of the you know hate that he gets on on Twitter or X um, and all of the hate that he gets from from Mavs fans, um, the guy's a cerebral player. He's had an Achilles injury. He is great for team chemistry. He understands his role, and I think in large part is uh, you know you can attribute lively success to uh, Dwight Powell and giving him the you know explanation of what it looks like to be. Um, a role player and an elevated role player in the NBA alongside Luca and how it looks to play alongside uh, a playmaker and distributor like Luca. So, you know, all in all, a great, a great trade deadline for the Mavericks. Um, I think it's probably, you know, you would rank it up in the, in the top of the league in terms of, uh, you know, how it's going to uh, play out. The Knicks had a good one too. Didn't the Knicks didn't have to give up as much, as many assets as the Mavericks did, but <clears throat> I think that the Mavericks, I think we're going to be looking back at this trade deadline and saying this was a home run for Nico Harrison. It was a home run for the Mavericks and um, it was a deal that had to be done. So we'll see how it plays out. I'm going to try to record another podcast here in the next couple of days. Um, you know, maybe after the the Wizards game and see if that, um, you know, if that effort continued from the Mavericks and see if their, uh, you know, the roles that these players are growing into are continuing to develop as we might imagine. I think there's a lot of questionables listed. I think there's a lot of game time decisions for that Wizards game. It's about a 14 and a half spread as I'm looking at it now. So, um, you know, there could be some guys sitting for the Mavericks. It could be the PJ Washington and Jaden Hardy and Daniel Gafford show, right? Maybe Luca takes a backseat and they see how they, those guys look in a competitive game where they're not having to rely on, on Luca. Um, and we'll, we'll see when lively gets back. So yeah, thanks for joining me for, uh, for the podcast today. And, uh, you guys will hear from me soon.